hello, everyone. Uh, this, I want to welcome everybody to the first of, uh, session that we have from DFDL. We're going to discuss um, COVID resilience. And as we all well know, COVID has been pretty devastating and difficult for everyone to deal with for a long, long year and a half now. And there have been a lot of uh, changes and a lot of uh, accommodations that have had to be made across the board. So this is going to be the first session in, uh, in a series of three sessions. This first session will focus on workforce restructuring. We'll move on through a series of questions uh, discussing uh, how your organization can remain resilient and address workforce resiliency issues uh, during this period. Our guest speaker is uh, Kum Kreisson, also locally known as TAN. Uh, he's been with the firm for 15 years. He's been, he works in the Bangkok office. He's stationed in the Bangkok office and is a partner here. He's been with the, the firm since the Bangkok office was opened in 2006. 2006. His, he, like most of the professionals in our firm, wear several different hats. Uh, so he has uh, three basic practices, although he does other work, of course, but uh, his three main practices are uh, mergers and acquisitions, so M&A work. Um, he's also the head of Thai compliance, and he also has, specializes in uh, HR and employment law practice. So with that, I sort of want to move over and uh, get the discussion started. Um, so Tan, if you could, I guess it's, you know we're focusing obviously on workforce and workforce restructuring, which has been a big issue, probably one of the main issues uh, over the last uh, you know uh, eighteen months or so. Um, so I'm just wondering if you can maybe give us a little bit of a general background on what kind of approach is recommended uh, when you're going through workforce restructuring. Yes. Uh, so uh, hello everyone. Uh, good afternoon. Um, I, I think that this is a good time for us to, to revisit this topic again because we have gathered and accumulated certain experience during the first wave of the pandemic where we help a lot of clients in uh, creating and helping to set up measures to, uh, to really withstand and, and make the business afloat during the tough times. Um, general approach that we have seen from our clients, uh, many from hospitality businesses and restaurant businesses that uh, have a direct effect on, on this pandemic situation. So we, we have seen in, in two categories. Uh, one is the internal change of work conditions uh, and another is uh, redundancy. Uh, so in uh, internal chain of work conditions, what we have seen in the markets would be around uh, leave without pay, uh, part-time arrangement, workforce rotation, salary or uh, monetary benefit deferments. So, and another one is a temporary uh, shutdown or partially shutdown of the business. So when we refer to shutdown, is it could be simply set out to set up workforce. Uh, so partial suspension of business is uh, means that you can also set out to set up workforce to work week in week out, for example. So in 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 terms of internal chain of work conditions, there will be 
uh, way, uh, options that you require consent from the employee, which is all, all issues in relation to the, the chain of their work conditions, either to put them on part-time work rotation, uh, salary and monetary benefit deferments. Uh, these options require explicit consent from the employees. And this has uh, will be one of the uh, first thing when we uh, when our clients consider uh, to to impose on their workforce. Um, so the key uh, the key legal requirement around here is that you need an explicit concept. Uh, implied concept may be applicable, but but it will entails a risk of litigations. So. For this option, it has been pursued by on a consent basis. So the key issue in our experience would be that an effective communications must be done. Uh, what we've seen uh, in terms of success case, all the employers have a town hall or have a strong communication and provide information to their employees on the financial distress and tough situation of the company, the more the employer provide, the better, uh, the better understanding the employees will have. Another successful indicators also indicates where uh, the executives of the companies will be one of the first group that's, uh, 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 that need to be uh, subject to this type of measures. Um, and another useful fact is also to, to provide to the employees in the town hall will be also what other measures other than workforce uh, cost cutting that the company have tried. If uh, you can, if I, if I can jump in real quick, I think before we sort of get to a discussion of sort of the communications and things like that, maybe if we could, if we could step back a little bit. Um, and, and cover, first of all, how you effectively go through the changes or the proposed changes first. So when it comes to actually changing the workforce and the labor force and their, the terms of their employment, et cetera, what do Thai companies need to look out for specifically that, that may prove problematic or what kind of format do they have to go through? So then, the simple way of uh, document this, since you require explicit consent after the successful communications, you would need to document it in writing. It could be in a form of a simple one-page uh, letter uh, informing the uh, the terms of agreement between the employer and the employees, and and this letter must be signed by the employees, each uh, employees. Uh, it's also possible where if you have a, a IT system where you can provide acceptance by clicking uh, or e-signatures, that's what we have seen. So this is a, a legal format to do this, to document this. So what if it, so it sounds like, I mean, obviously there are a lot of choices that the employers can take and, and, and it will obviously need to be put in a, a formalized, uh, uh, reform to the terms and conditions of the employment and things like that uh, and agreed. What if you have an employee that doesn't agree or some employees who don't agree to have the terms of their work changed or modified? Yes, so uh, that there will always be a, a high possibility that a number of employees 
will, will refuse or reject to cooperate. Um, in this case, the best way being seen is to try to uh, enter into mutual separation agreement with, with the group of employees. Um, we, we have a discussion where uh, our client think that would, would this be the benefit uh, for those who don't uh, cooperate with, with the organization? Would this sort of a reward if they get the mutual separation package? But what we've seen is that uh, uh, to, to really uh, uh, encourage the employee uh, who refused to, uh, to enter into mutual separation and with certain package would also, uh, it's, it's not a reward in itself because uh, in this economic situation, it will be quite difficult to, to find a new job. So this simply, and, and those who, employee who cooperate still can retain their works uh, and have a, and of course all the employees we uh, all the employers we have helped quite recognize this cooperation so uh, there could be and they all they tend to have an incentive package when things are better so this should be part of the conversation to 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 discuss not uh, not only with the those employees who refuse, but also employees who decide to uh, join in. And and actually having having sort of touched on the employer communication process, um, I don't know that we need to revisit a lot of that other than obviously to recap what you said, which is that the main the main difficulty around this space may be the actual communication of the process and everything to the employees. Right, and how to best effectuate that. So if we can actually move on to the next question, which would be um, about employee representatives um, and can employee representatives be furloughed? Um, and if they're furloughed, are they allowed to continue on as a representative? So um, I, I, you may actually want to address what an employee representative is in the first place. Some people may not be familiar with that concept. Yeah, so in in the organization where you have more than 50 employees, um, you have uh, employees have the right to, to set up an employee committee. Uh, and this employee committee have the right to negotiate and start the collective bargaining agreements with uh, a collective bargaining process with employees. And these member of employee committee uh, by law are not prohibited from dismissal uh, unless you receive the court approval. Um, and another uh, legal prohibition is around the employee representative, any person that, meaning any person that involved in the process of collective bargaining with the employer, this uh, group of uh, employees uh, can claim against the employer on any unfair practice imposed on them by the employee. So this would cover those uh, measures in relation to uh, reduction of work uh, benefits and so on. Right? But in this uh, second issue on unfair practice claim, there must be a proof of fact that this is done in, uh, discriminately and unfairly and with the intention to this encourage the employees from uh, continue uh, uh, the collective bargaining 
discussion audience. So it's so long as uh, you provide unfair and objective measures that discuss with all the employees, this measure will be applied to I would assume that part of this is uh, put in place to make sure that the company doesn't retaliate against the representative for representing the employee's sure. interests. Kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, not that we would ever impugn an employer for doing that, right? So, um, so I guess we're, we're sort of moving along and uh, we only have a few minutes left. But what I want to do is switch gears just a little bit and talk about uh, immigration issues. And actually, this is quite timely because, um, as we well know, the construction sites around Bangkok were all shut down <laughs> on uh, just the day before yesterday. And now all those uh, migrant workers and uh, immigrant workers are now uh, not able to work. So what sort of happens if somebody's an immigrant and um, all of a sudden they can't work anymore? So in, I think in dealing with the foreign uh, employees who hold work permits, employers should bear in mind all the always that um, the law would, once the employer inform relevant authority about the uh, departure or end of the employment, then foreigners will have only seven days to, to leave the country or apply for a new work permit. Uh, so the best way to help transition uh, the employees uh, as part of the mutual separation agreement that uh, will be benefit to the employers. Uh, we, we have seen that uh, uh, the employer will facilitate this by setting the last day of employment to be, uh, to, be to have sufficient time for the employees uh, to, to really uh, facilitate this transition, either go, uh, go relocate back to home jurisdiction or move to work with new so that I think part of that is sort of standard practice, but I think right now the issue that you may have is obviously people can't leave the country or they can't go back to their own country. So so how how would they how would an employer sort of accommodate if they have a, a big immigrant workforce that's not allowed to leave? I mean, uh, is the government being relaxed about that or? We we understand that there's certain relaxation right now in case that you you are unable to leave the country because of the because of the inability to find a uh, uh, flight out, for example. Um, and another way is to 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 uh, apply for conversion of visa type and use, for example, thirty day uh, visa for for tourists in that case. So what I, I guess the, the other question I would have the sort of last question on that point. What um, you know, what sort of, maybe not legal obligation or formal obligation, but do companies feel some pressure to try to accommodate that process? Because again, immigrant, employ, migrant employees aren't, aren't going to necessarily know how the system all works. So are employers with big migrant worker bases sort of feeling as though they need to try to support those workers or, or not not financially but i mean through the process or help them with conversion that kind of thing yeah i mean in the, especially because of the pressure of entering into mutual separation agreement mm. uh, mutual separation agreement can save a lot of costs on on the employer's front litigation fees uh, unfair compensation claims uh, so we uh, so if the employer can get this uh, mutual separation agreement uh, employees can waive a number of uh, claims that, 
that the person may challenge the employee. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, it's sort of mutual incentive to ensure a smooth transition with respect to the work permit and business visa. Um, maybe another another thing that I want to update the audience here is uh, we, because I mentioned earlier that there is a, a possibility of partial suspension of the business. Uh, we, we, we have seen court rulings that recognize that uh, partial, term, uh, partial suspension of the business on the ground of force majeure, um, the employer has the right to impose that unilaterally on employees without having to pay any minimum salary. So Thai law uh, requires 75% minimum of salary to be paid to the employees in case of partial suspension of the business on a business necessity basis. But in case of force majeure, for example, you uh, are subject to direct government order Close down your business, then it has been seen as a it has been seen and recognized by the labor court as a force majeure. So this I, I think an, an update that we received from our uh, dealings in, in in this front. Uh, there have I have not seen the Supreme Court ruling as yet, but we we've seen uh, the court uh, labor court issue this ruling recognizing this. But Tan, I'm just wondering if there's any there's any additional information that we haven't sort of covered through this process and you think might be useful or helpful? Yeah, so I think that uh, the update around, or oh, maybe another update would be, so for those uh, for those business that are not subject to direct government order to close down, uh, is we have seen that uh, either Department of Labor of uh, labor welfare and protection uh, or the labor court, they start to uh, speak with us clearly that force measure cannot be used. Okay. During the first wave of pandemic, we successfully used this and, and with the willing to back it up. But uh, after the situation passed for six months or seven months after the government uh, stopped using the direct order to close down business, then more difficult at this stage. Recently, we, 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 got, we had a conversation with the officer and said that it seems, it, it appears that the business has the, the, the chance to adapt and adjust itself for around one year, one year operating. So to really use force measure where you do not pay any amount of salary, we really want to thank uh, Kun Kreisel for spending the time with us and answering or sort of presenting all this information. As you can see, labor force restructuring is incredibly involved and has a lot of different options and a lot of different opportunities for employers to try to accommodate uh, the impact on their labor force uh due to covid and due to the economic downturn that we've had and the uncertainty across uh, all the economic spectrum thank you very much